Welcome back to EPSN, and I'm your host, Emily Paulson, where we talk and debate all things sports for sports geeks like myself. On today's episode, we will focus on a little bit of everything. We will start with a look at the MLB playoff race and an update on the college football and NFL landscape after a couple of weeks of play. I will also touch on the Americans' big win in the Ryder Cup. Helping me out today is my pops once again. So what's been up since the last time I talked to you? Hey, not much, not much. Big stuff in the new, uh, sports news, though, as you said. That Ryder Cup weekend was quite special. Uh, but I, I'm looking forward to your uh, episode today. To start out, we are going to touch on the MLB playoff race. As some teams have already clinched their playoff spot going into the last week of play regular season. In the NL West, it is very competitive between the Giants and Dodgers. Both have the best records in the MLB and both have clinched playoff first, but neither has secured the division title yet. The Giants have a series against Arizona and San Diego to close out the regular season and the Dodgers have San Diego and Milwaukee. And I think it really comes down to that San Diego series of who plays better and which San Diego team shows up to play against each team. Yeah. San Diego is terrible right now. I don't, as far as what team's going to show up the bad one, it looks like because they are not playing as a team. They're not playing with any type of enthusiasm. Like they want to win that they all are trying to get this season over as soon as possible. And to your point, the giants and Dodgers, yeah, best race in baseball by far. Um, both have over 100 wins already. The Giants do have a two-game lead, um, but I did see where their uh, leading home run hitter, Brandon Belt, just got hurt and is going to be out a few weeks. So that could really throw some things off here in the last uh, five, six games as they head down the, the final stretch. It's going to be a close race to watch this next week, and I encourage everyone to go watch those teams. In the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers have clinched the division and a playoff spot. And then in the NL East, there's a race between Atlanta and Philadelphia. And Atlanta holds a two and a half game lead heading into the final week of the regular season. Yeah, I, that's not much of a race left anymore. I think that Atlanta's proving that they are the better team. And I think they'll win that here over the next couple of days for sure. Even though Philadelphia has Bryce Harper, I mean, they just can't rely on him every single game. They're a bad team. I, they, I just don't think they're going to be able to get it done. And I know Harper's uh, been a lot of talk out there, how good a season he's having. But the only reason the Phillies are even in the race right now is all the other teams have faltered so bad over the last month of the season. Moving into the AL, the AL East, the race clinched the division and they hold the best record in the American League. And then in the AL West, Houston, Seattle, and Oakland are all still in the hunt for that divisional title. But Houston leads Seattle by five games. So I would say Houston basically has that locked up. Yeah, but look at Seattle. Seattle's come out of nowhere to even make that a race. Everybody thought it was going to be Oakland who was going to try, or even the Angels who are, are way back. Um, but the, the Mariners, I think they've won nine out of the last 10, and they were really making a push to try to make this wild card playoff. 
Yeah, something crazy like that. I saw today they're only a half game behind, and their new slogan is just win because it's like the Raiders. (laughs) They're only a half game behind Boston for that second wild card spot, which we'll get to a little bit later. And then the final division is the American League Central, which the White Sox clinched. And, you know, the White Sox, I feel like, have been slipping under our radars because they don't have a huge name necessarily like a Bryce Hopper or Aaron Judge, but they're a really good, well-rounded team. I completely agree. The leadership that Tony La Russa at, I don't know, what is he, 80 years old, I think, um, that he's brought to that franchise and teaching these young guys a little bit of old school baseball and how to how to win and how to be professionals and get through a regular season. Uh, the White Sox are a dangerous, dangerous team. They, they have the pitching and, and are built for the playoffs. So you're right. I think that team's been under the radar most of the year and could really do some damage in the playoffs. But sticking in the American League and moving on to the wild card race, it is neck and neck. And I mean, like, within three games, five teams are all there. Yankees have the top spot right now and lead the Red Sox by, I think, one game. It might be one and a half, two games now. But Boston's in second. And now, since Seattle's only a half game behind Boston heading into this final stretch. I mean, it's anyone's game for that second spot. And I would even say the first spot because the Yankees could slip up and you never know. Yeah, this is by far the hottest ticket in baseball right now is the American League wild card race. And by the way, if we back up, how great are the wild cards? It has kept so many teams involved in baseball and kept the fan base, just kept the conversation up. Uh, and it's made teams maybe not trade as much as they want because uh, they always think they've got a chance now. But th- this is why baseball did the wild. Now, I would like to see the wild card series maybe be best of three games. The I one agree. Playoff is so difficult, but it's exciting. And uh, But back to the, this year and these teams, you're right. The Yankees have a two-game lead on Boston, and that is only because they just went to Fenway and swept the Red Sox three games in a row this past weekend. What a series that was. And the Yankees did some things that they've never done in, in the those great franchises' history. Um, I think John Carlos Stanton had 10 RBIs. He's the first Yankee to ever do that. Uh, it, was, it was really neat to see. Um, but with that said, you were right. The next teams, so Boston's two games back. The Mariners a half game back of them. Toronto's one game back. And the Oakland Athletics are only three and a half games back. So this next five, six games is going to be very interesting to see who comes out on top. Well, and it'll be interesting because the Blue Jays and Yankees are playing a series right now, which the Yankees won yesterday, seven to two. But if the Blue Jays win, I mean, that cuts the games behind in half, basically. Oh, it throws everything into chaos. That's exactly right. If Boston starts winning, they're playing Baltimore right now. Uh, kudos to Baltimore. They've been winning a, a lot of games down the stretch here, beating a lot of playoff-bound teams. So there's really something nice to see in that. They're not just laying over and, and giving up victories. But Seattle's playing Oakland right now. So, again, that's those games could swing in a hurry as well. It's exciting. And you have to remember about the wild card. It's only – one game, winner take all, and then they play the top person in 
their league, which right now is um, the Rays. That's right. So in the NL, it's not close at all, I would say. The Dodgers or Giants are going to have that number one seed. They're up by like 17 games ahead of the second spot. And then the second spot, it's St. Louis, who has a five and a half game lead over Cincinnati. And then the Phillies are following that. But since St. Louis basically has that locked up. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The National League wild cards are pretty much over. But let's talk about that really quick. So the loser of the Dodgers and Giants, and I mean loser in the sense of whoever doesn't win this division title, has is going to host this one-game playoff. But St. Louis has won 17 games in a row. A month ago, they had like a 4% chance to even make the playoffs, and yet here they are in a 17-game win streak. I would not want to play that game or that team in a one-game series no matter where it's played at right now. Yeah. I mean, if I'm the Dodgers or Giants, I want that number one seed and t- clinch that divisional title like it's the World Series title right now because it gives you such more leverage than having to play that one wildcard game, which anything could happen in a wildcard game. We've, we've seen it. And then you get that home field advantage once you get to that seven-game series in the divisional. And I think that just makes such a huge difference with fans right now and stuff like that. Well, the home field advantage will be huge. But, but again, the, whoever wins that one-game series now has to go play the Giants. So, right. I, I mean, so if you're the Giants or Dodgers, you're waiting for either the hottest team in the league to come and, and play against you or the team that you just beat to win the division who's going to have extra motivation to come beat you. So right, it's going to be very easy to uh, get excited for those series for sure. And that leaves us to Atlanta and Milwaukee. Those two teams are just going to fly under the radar, play right. each other and let everybody else kind of beat up on each other. Um, Milwaukee's been a, a sleepy, quiet team all year as well. So uh, all in all, the baseball playoffs seem like they're going to be very exciting this year. And I can't wait to get through this final regular season and, uh, and get the October, get fall baseball started. If the Dodgers get that wild card game and they play in it and beat the Cardinals, it's going to be a 100 win team against another 100 win team. And that just proves that that division is so strong with those top two teams, but it kind of just sucks for that one team, those teams who had to play basically the two best teams in baseball right now. Well, yeah. And I mean, again, we were uh, making fun of the Padres and how they've been playing. Maybe there's more to be said about, boy, they play in the Giants and the Dodgers division. And let's not, not kid ourselves. The Dodgers are loaded. That team was supposed to win 100 games. The fact that the Giants are still there and are winning that division, kudos to that organization because nobody thought that team would be in, in the hunt. I want to say that at the beginning of the year, the Giants, going back to your statistical analysis that you like to do, Emily, um, that they had a f- less than a 5% chance to make the playoffs at, back in the beginning of the year. And here they are winning over 100 games um, and giving the Dodgers all they could want. But the, the Dodgers, if, if they lose that one-game series with the talent and the money they've spent. It's a waste of year. Th- they have three of the top pitchers in the league. And I know you're going to get to the awards here in a little bit, but um, th- that team should not lose. 
No. And then I would equate um, the Giants with the White Sox as both of them are just such well-rounded teams that they don't have a star guy necessarily. And going back to old school baseball, kind of. Agree. Just well-coached, well-disciplined, all the fundamentals, everything you want from a baseball team. Speaking of the Giants and the White Sox moving into awards, the coaches, those are the two coaches that I have for coach of the year. In the National League, the Giants, Gabe Kepler took over in 2020 for Bruce Bochy. And they are 102 and 54 this year, best record in baseball. And in previous years, they were under 500. And they haven't made a playoff since 2016. And now they have the best record in the league. How good of a turnaround is that for, a, for an organization that was so dominant a couple of years back? Well, their history of hiring coaches is phenomenal. So Gabe Kapler is hands down coach of the year. It should be unanimous. If he doesn't win it unanimous, um, it's a shame because – he, he deserves all the accolades anybody could give to him out there. And, and to your point, he's following up maybe one of the greatest coaches, definitely in Giants history, Bruce Bochy, who won three World Series titles. So to take on that challenge, it, they went through a rebuild. It took them a while to get back. But as you met, pe- mentioned, Emily, they have a well-rounded team. At every position, they just have somebody who shows up and goes to work every day and does it the right way. So uh, I agree with you there that uh, Gabe Kapler's hands down National League Coach of the Year. In the American League, Tony La Russa for the Chicago White Sox, it's his first year as manager. And the White Sox have been decent in the past two years. I mean, 2019, they went 72 and 89, so they were below 500. But last year, they went 35 and 25. Um. But this year, they're 89-68, and he's just made a turnaround. I don't want to say it's a full-on turnaround like the Giants or anything like that, but he has made them a consistent team. Yeah, and again, shocking to me that a guy at Tony LaRusse's age who hadn't been a manager for a long time, I believe over a decade, uh, who's been, been in baseball still in the front offices at different organizations, but Tony Larusso has always won wherever he's been. If you go back through his history, one, he was a Chicago White Sox manager early in his career. But what he did with the Oakland A's back in the 80s with the Bash brothers, uh, McGuire and, and um, well, Conseco, and then what he did in St. Louis and, and what he built there for the Cardinals, again, winning World Series titles. Coming out of, I'll say, manager retirement and taking over the White Sox, uh, most people didn't think he was going to make it with today's baseball player. And he, he's done again, an incredible job. And, and I would think would have to be almost your unanimous uh, manager of the year. I just don't see any other managers from either league coming close to either of them. And the white Sox haven't made the playoffs since 2008 last year, they made the wild card, but they haven't made it since 2008. So that's even longer than the giants. Hey, and you mentioned that it might not be a full turnaround. It pretty much is. You mentioned 2019 being below 500. In 2018. 2018, they lost 100 games. 
It was a hundred game losing season. Think about that. The Giants are having a hundred game win season. Imagine being a fan and watching your team get a hundred losing games. Oh, well, welcome to Texas and Baltimore. (laughs) And for more awards, let's talk about the MVP race. Yeah, let's They're, talk about the best ones. Come on, let's talk about MVP, Cy Youngs. Let's go. Who's in I it? I know. The MVP is super intriguing on both sides of the ball. In the National League, Bryce Harper and Fernando Tatis are right up there with each other. And Bryce Harper is leading the league in slugging at 624 in an OPS of 1.052. And since the Padres are starting to go downhill and have not been playing well, it opens the door for Harper, even though his team isn't even a playoff team because neither are the Padres anymore. And then for Fernando Tatis Jr., his individual numbers are very similar to Harper, but because his team is slipping so bad and it's not really because of his performance, it's making him not as well-rounded MVP candidate. His value might have slipped due to that. One other guy, though, that I really think is flying under the radar is Juan Soto for the Nationals. Since the start of August, he has been dominating. He leads the majors in on-base percentage at 459 for the second straight year and could win a second straight batting title this year. His defense is good, too. I agree with you. And not to mention that the Nationals traded their two best guys away to the Dodgers. Uh, So Soto's been doing it literally on his own at this point. So those statistics are pretty impressive. But I got to tell you, EP, uh, you could talk about Harper. You could talk about Tatis. Both overrated this this year, not in general, careers-wise, whatever. But as far as this year goes – um, neither one of them are, are blowing any records out of the, out of the water. So I know they get a lot of national media and they get a lot of the highlights, but there's two guys. I, I think that you, you didn't mention, um, that, that really should be the national league, uh, MVPs. And that would be Brandon Crawford for the for San Francisco giants, totally unsung. They, I, they don't even really want to re-sign him. They were planning on, I'm sure, of finding a big-name free agent to bring in. But he just is having an excellent career, hitting over 300, playing incredible defense. Well, um, the yeah. Giants said going into this year that this is basically his last year to prove, like, are you able to make it in this league? Yeah, and again, he's I should be in the conversation for MVP. Uh, his team is again, won over 100 games. Harper and the Padres, uh, the Harper's Phillies and Tatis Jr.'s Padres, both aren't going to make the playoffs uh, and really didn't even deserve to be in the playoff race as bad as they played down the stretch. So, uh, And the other guy, just to mention really quick, as far as National League MVP, um, is part of the guy who got traded along with um, uh, a pitcher to the Dodgers, Trey Turner. He's also having an incredible year and going from two different teams and being able to continue to play at that type of level and, and really help the Dodgers get back into that race, uh, I, I thought was was a great performance. Uh, and not to mention, have you seen that guy's slide? His slide is uh, a highlight reel. Looks like it could be in a ballerina in a show somewhere, but it is smooth. Smooth. 
like Santana. Hey, one last name too. Uh, Freddie Freeman for the Braves. He's, I think he's the defending MVP. Yeah. He's again had a great year. The Braves are going to make the playoffs. Uh, that's been pretty quiet as well. I just feel like it's crazy that in the National League, the top three guys in Harper, Soto, and Tatis, none of their teams are going to make the playoffs. No. Why do you not have a team, somebody from the Dodgers or Giants on that list? Like what you're talking about, Brandon Crawford. The American League, on the other hand, has basically an outright winner, but other people are showing that in a normal year, they would win too. Nope. Hit the applause button, EP, because there's only one winner and one winner only. Don't even try to make a conversation out of this, but uh, who is it? Shohei Otani. Show who? Shohei Otani. Yes, yes. I mean, he can do it all. He pitches, he hits, has 44 home runs, 23 steals, eighth best ERA in the league, and fifth highest strikeout rate. Uh, He's doing things. Do that again. Say those stats a little slower so people understand uh, that Otani has been playing uh, uh, in the field, mostly DH, but playing in the field and pitching a regular every five game as a starter in this league. Uh, And his statistics in both uh, batting and pitching are in the top five to ten in all categories. It's just insane to me uh, to see somebody in today's uh, day and age be able to do, be a two-way player like that. 44 homers, 23 stolen bases. So third in home runs, fifth in stolen bases. Eighth best ERA in the league for a guy who also plays, like he doesn't really take rest days and fifth highest strikeout rate. He's doing things that we haven't even seen, including Babe Ruth, which is crazy. Yeah, again, I should be unanimous, no questions asked. But with that said, he can't win every game for his team. So the Angels are having a terrible year. We didn't even get into Mike Trout, who has been out since May with a calf strain, who now says, oh, I'm 100%, but I'm not coming back. Literally, Otani's trying to play every day, multiple positions. He's like your Bugs Bunny, pitching it, catching it, throwing it, you know. Um, (laughs) It's hilarious. But uh, anyways, who's the next guy on your list? I feel like on my list is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He leads the majors in homers with 46, so not that many more than Shohei. In hits, he leads the leagues with 178. In batting average, 321, runs scored, 119, and total bases of 342. He leads the league in all those. And he's only 22 years old. Yeah, I think that's the the part for me is he's 22 years old. It, for him to even be making this a conversation, and you're right, it, it, it in most years would be a conversation. Most years he probably would win the MVP. If he was uh, in the National right, League right now, he would win. Oh, no doubt about it. And again, his team is fighting for the playoffs in a very difficult AL East division. So uh, I give you uh, uh, a lot of kudos for for pushing him as a potential MVP MVP candidate because he does deserve it just from a statistical and what he's done in leading his team this year at the age he is. The other guy who I 
wrote down just to give a quick shout out to is Marcus Simeon, who also plays for the Blue Jays. He's the fifth second baseman to reach the 40 homer mark in a season. And he leads the majors in extra base hits with 80. And he's a really good defensive player at second base. So just a quick shout out to him. Well, two. okay. So I'll take it one step farther. Yes. I like Simeon. Uh, I did see just last night, I believe um, he tied the record for second baseman with 43 home runs. So he's probably going to break the all time second base home run record, uh, which is impressive. And speaking of somebody who's, uh, hasn't been mentioned at all, I would like to throw a vote out would be to Salvador Perez, the catcher for the Kansas City Royals. He also broke the all-time catcher's home run mark this year and, in fact, is leading the American League and, I believe, the overall majors in home runs this year with 47 at this time, I believe. Um, again, looking at 50 home runs from a catcher playing every day, unheard of. The catcher position uh, takes so much more than just being able to concentrate on hitting and for him to do what he's done. Uh, I, I think it, it says a lot for uh, what kind of baseball guy he is as far as professionals showing up every day. The American league is just such a more competition for the MVP race. If Vlad or Marcus Simeon or Salvador Perez were in the other league, they would all have a good chance to win. We didn't even talk about judge. I do have judge written down too. He's another guy. I mean, at this point I would also throw in John Carlo, but it's only because he has been hitting nonstop. If you can make an MVP for a week or two. Yep. There's your guy. So for Cy Young, the last award that we're going to cover, the American League has two guys, in my opinion, that are fighting for this. Garrett Cole and Robbie Ray. New York Yankee and Toronto. Two teams fighting for a wild card spot. Yeah, as much as there were so many great candidates for the MVP, the Cy Young Award is very difficult to pick this year. Uh, there's just not a starting pitcher or somebody out there who's just dominated the season away. A lot of injuries this year took out potential guys, but um, you're right. I, I think Gold, Cole might be at the top of the list. Very difficult um, seasons, ups and downs, went through the sticky uh, ball situation and everybody's saying his spin rates were down and he was getting hammered and, but he still ended up, what, 16 and 8, three point something ERA. Pretty good. Yeah, 16 and 8 record, 3.08 ERA, and 237 strikeouts. It's a pretty good season. So I could see him. And, you know, here's the other thing I know there's awards for the relievers and the, and the closers, the firemen's awards, but you might have a Cy Young guy who comes out of the bullpen as a closer this year who could be. The guy from Chicago. Liam Hendricks. Yeah. He is pitched very well out of the bullpen. But I feel like the award is still just going to go to a starting pitcher. And the other one is Robbie Ray. And he is a 2.68 ERA, 13-6 and six record, and 244 strikeouts. Yeah. It makes I- it easier because both of these teams are playoff contender teams, and they're not below 500. So... I think it makes it really hard to give an award in the American League. Agreed. Agreed. But no harder than it's going to be for the National League because there's three guys on the same team. I don't know how they split votes, but 
Besides in National him, League, all of them are Dodger guys. Yes. I have Julio Arreyes, who has a 3.01 ERA, a 19-3 and record in 188 strikeouts. Max good. Scherzer, who played for the Nationals early on, but then traded to the Dodgers, 2.28 ERA, 15-4 and record, 232 strikeouts. Basically similar numbers. And Walker Bueller is the other one. And he's a 2.49 ERA, 201 strikeouts in a 15 and four record. Him and Max Scherzer are identical. And Julio Reyes has a little bit higher ERA, but he's pitched in more games. I think Max Scherzer's a guy. He has been absolutely dominant. And I noticed you didn't mention one Dodger name in there, Clayton Kershaw. He's uh, been hurt. I, I'm just saying, you know, he was always the guy. He was always the Dodger. Look, at they have three now. Tell me this team isn't ready to go and, and wake up and play the uh, ready for the fall classic and get to the playoffs. But um, I think Scherzer's the guy. His ERA 2.28. And what he's done since he came to the Dodgers has been unhittable. So I think for what he's done in the last month and a half, two months with the Dodgers, uh, puts him over the top. So Scherzer's my guy. Scherzer's my guy too. I think him and Cole are just going to win it. And both both of them are previous Cy Young winners, right? Correct. And one guy who's not even playing this season is Justin Verlander. And imagine if Clayton Kershaw was healthy too. In the NFL, moving to football, only five undefeated teams are left after three weeks of play. Those include the Raiders, the Rams, Cardinals, and two teams I would have not expected at the beginning of the year, Carolina and Denver Broncos. Yeah, I love that you start with the Raiders, and I could see the Cardinals being undefeated. Um, I could see the Rams being undefeated, although what a great win they got over the Bucs. Um, but Carolina and Denver, Denver's played a terrible schedule, uh, and I'm not sure if that's part of it or if Teddy Bridgewater's uh, the real deal for them and getting them wins that, like you said, many wouldn't expect. The other top teams are the Bucks, of course. I mean, they return everyone from their offense. And Tom Brady has been great at throwing the football with 10 TDs this season, leading the NFL, showing that age does not matter. Well, it matters for most people. (laughs) I don't know what kind of potion Brady has back there, but uh, it's incredible seeing what he's doing at 44 years old and leading the NFL in touchdowns. just continues to build his uh, statue, if you will, in front of the hall of fame because he truly is at this point probably the greatest player that's played in the nfl hate to say that ep it It does say that but i've become a believer i I just for all the years through the patriots uh, starting with the damn snow game against the raiders um i mean he's the goat he is the goat of quarterbacks it may be all of nfl i'll just leave it at that Going back to the Rams, though, Matthew Stafford, I'm going to say, is the real deal. Going into the season, I thought, I don't know if a new team is going to help him. 
but he's proved himself to be a great quarterback and he has done so far so good and having an O-line that can protect you and a defense that can stop another team has shown that it makes a huge difference in a guy's career. I see you throwing shade at the Detroit Lions fans out there. E. I know. I'm sorry, Total. Total, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yes, Matthew Stafford's always been a great quarterback. I think the rest of the country is just now starting to get to see how great he is when you give him all the things that you mentioned, a good old line, a defense that will actually keep keep the team in the game and doesn't have to outscore every week. Uh, but the biggest factor for him is joining up with Sean McVay and running that offense. They, they look so good. They don't even have a running back right now. I mean, their running back got hurt before the year started. Um, I think I think the Rams are the real deal in the in the National uh, League side of things. Um, but um, I, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how things go for them when they run into a little adversity. But Right now, uh, everything's good in L.A. I mean, I feel like getting that big win over the Bucks early in the year has really helped them. And Matthew Stafford is so much more accurate and just has more experience overall than Jared Goff, but he just works so much better in that offense. Sticking to the impressive undefeated team path, who is the most real undefeated team or impressive undefeated team? Well, I think out of the five you mentioned, the Raiders, the Rams, the Cardinals, Carolina, and Denver, we're going to find out this coming week because the Rams play the Cardinals. So I think when you get down to it, those two are the two out of that five some that I think are, are real. I think there's other teams that already have losses probably that are, are still going to be there at the end of the year. But this Rams team, it, like you mentioned, is loaded. They got people at skill positions. They've been in the system of McVay's for a long time. And then you incorporate a quarterback with Matthew Stafford's skill set. Uh, that's that team's going to be dangerous. The Cardinals, I mean, we mentioned a little bit last week about them, I think. Um, and the defense is playing great. Kyler Murray uh, has all the weapons he needs out there. And I think as they settle in and, and get used to, um, you know, a little more of each other. They've brought a lot of new pieces in in a short amount of time. I think that team's just going to get better and better as well. That's going to be a great game this weekend. Though. Who do you like in that game? You got anybody? You like I them? do like the Rams because it's a home game for them against the court Cardinals. And I trust the Rams defense more because this last week against the Bucks, they pressured Brady 27% of the time on a, his dropbacks when in the previous two games, the league had only pressured Brady a low of 17.8%. And that Bucks O-line is really good. So the fact that the Rams defense pressured him that much proves to me their defense is legit. That's a great take, EP. Uh, those are great statistics to back that up. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, the Bucks, that offensive line, I mean, they just won a Super Bowl. I mean, that, that's a really good team. They're protecting a 50-year-old. <laughs> that's a good point. And the Rams have a really good defensive front. And I, I agree with you. I like the Rams in that game pretty much for the same reasons. I just don't trust the Cardinals being able to outscore or be able to freelance as much against that Rams defense. So uh, I think that's going to be a tough game for them. But what a great game early in the year. I think it'll really prove if Kyler Murray has 
developed into being a pro quarterback as in terms that he knows how to handle the pressure of a big game. I, I agree. It'll be exciting to see. I think uh, he's always fun to watch. So no matter what happens, it'll be entertaining to say the least. But one other game, and that's the Raiders at the Chargers. And this is going to be a great AFC West battle game. The Chargers coming off the victory against the Chiefs. Very impressive. Justin Herbert continues to be someone who looks like maybe he's the generational talent out of, Go these, Ducks, baby. Out of these most recent quarterbacks. Um, he, he continues to impress. He looks like he's been out there for five, six years. He's so calm. Uh, he's got a strong arm. He's very, very smart. So uh, as far as reading defenses and being able to process at a, at a quick, quick time uh, pace uh, during a game, uh, he's, I think he's the real deal as well. And it's going to be fun to watch him and Mahomes. And, and again, a guy like Derek Carr, um, the, the next, you know, five, six years together. So it, it'll be fun. I think that game comes down to whose defense plays better. Because yeah, I, both offenses are really good. Defensive, shaky. Yeah, and, and I mean, nobody believes in the Raiders' defense yet. The, the new defensive coordinator there, Gus Bradley, he's brought in a lot of enthusiasm. It seems to be pretty much a lot of the leftover guys that the Raiders have had. Um, but, you know, the Raiders, Raiders are a young team. Um, the, there's a lot of guys who are still learning how to be professionals. And I know I say that a lot, but I think when you get this level – Everybody has talent. It's what you do with that. How do you work? How do you learn? How do you start, you know, understanding game film and things that go along that nature of being the professionals. So um, you're right. The, the defenses will prove and keep in mind, Gus Bradley was the old charger defensive coordinator. So uh, for him, maybe going up against that team, even though the chargers got a whole new coaching staff, uh, it's always a little personal, I, I think when that happens. So it'll be a great matchup. Uh, we'll see if the Raiders are, are the real deal or not. Uh, I did see that they are the first team in NFL history to beat to beat the first three teams of a season, all of who won 10 games last year. So uh, tip of the hat to the Raiders. Just win, baby. Flipping the script, I want to touch on teams who are struggling in the NFL right now. And the first team is the Chiefs. What's up with the Chiefs? They start season one and two, under 500 already. And they lose to the Chargers and Ravens. And the big thing that has come out of them losing these games and what has shown to be why they struggle is they have no depth beyond Tyree killing Travis Kelsey. Those are Patrick Mahomes' go-to guys. And I have not seen a third guy that he wants to go to all the time. Yeah, and I the Chiefs, it's hard to say that they're struggling. I know the record says they're one and two, but there are some uh, pauses or for concern, for sure. Uh, I think you're right. The depth is starting to prove uh, a problematic. The, the running back, Clyde Edward-Hilaire, uh, hasn't really taken that next step from that position. I, I think every team needs, needs that running threat, and, and you can't just pass your way to the championship. So – We'll see what happens with that team. I think uh, they just added Josh Gordon. Now, I don't even know when the last time he uh, finished a full year. So if he can be counted on or not, let's see what happens. But I think the Chiefs will be fine. Losing to the Chargers and Ravens this early in the year it shouldn't be too big problematic. Um, 
but but they definitely have uh, some reasons to be concerned. It shows that they're beautiful. Uh, agreed. Yeah. And quick shout out to Sean Toldo because he is the only person I know who is a legit Lions fan. And I'm about to touch on the Lions and that they're still bad even with a new quarterback. Statistically, their new quarterback in Jared Goff hasn't hasn't been bad. He's 86 of 123 passes, and it's the highest through three games ever by a Lions quarterback. But his O-line is still terrible, and their defense isn't very good either. And he has to get better in pressure situations. And I just feel so bad for the Lions fans out there. Yeah, you know, the Lions have had a, a terrible go of it. I mean, that we just talked about Matthew Stafford, who was their quarterback. You know, he tried his best to get them to the playoffs. They were always oh so close. They would always lose a certain crazy games. This last week with the ball bouncing off the crossbar and going in all-time longest. Uh, field goal at 66 goal. yards. After the referees missed the delay game that should have been a penalty and backed them up, then they would have had to have gone for a Hail Mary. I mean, so many crazy stories for the poor Lions fans, but you bring up a statistic, EP, that I did not know, and that is Jerry Goff is the best QB in Lions history through the first three games. Yeah, that he's 86 of 123 passes, which is the highest. I'm not sure that anybody knows or cares that that's the case because they're 0-3, but I mean, the that's Lions, a 70% completion rate through three the games. The Lions seem to get better every week and still find a way to lose. So I, I, I want that team to win so badly um, for all of their fans' sake, especially ST, but um, – Boy, man, it is it is a tough go right now being a Lions fan. And again, I say that to people who have had bags over their heads for years. So um, here's to the Lions, and let's hope they can get a victory soon. Every week I am rooting for the Lions to get a win at this point because I just want them to win one game. I I agree. And by the way, I think the team that has the biggest concerns out there um, and who's struggling is Pittsburgh. And that never happens. The Steelers are an organization that always win. I mean, they've had three coaches in the last 45 years or something. Um, but that team, looking at Ben Roethlisberger, looking at that offensive line, uh, I feel really bad looking at Najee Harris and hit the start to his career. If Big Ben wants to continue to play in this league and play longer, he needs a better O-line or he's going to get hurt. I mean, he did get hurt. He has a pectoral injury, but he's still playing. And the O-line, get this, has let Big Ben take 22 hits through three games. 22. That's a lot. That's a lot for a young guy, let alone a 40-year-old. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger cannot – he can't move. He can barely throw past a 20-yard downfield line. So – I, they just don't seem to have a plan, EP. I, I don't know what Pittsburgh's doing. I could see bringing him back if you wanted to ride him out to the sunset, but you would boy, have to know. use all your money to sign the Tampa Bay Bucks O line. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. They they have to find someone in the draft. I mean, there's guys out there who could be had. Maybe guys like Marcus Mariota. There's guys. I mean, Gardner Minshew got traded in Pittsburgh, and it looks like they didn't even care. Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins, if you're afraid to put those guys in, you have to find a better backup solution. 
Yeah. I mean, Big Ben also just has to be smarter with the football. He's had a lot of turnovers already. It's due to being hit, but how much he's, how long he's played this game, he should be smarter with the football. Agreed. Agreed. Sticking to the topic of football, but going into college football, there's some movement in the top 25 this last week. Well, there was a lot. There was a lot that happened. I am going to start with Oregon because they deserve to be started with, in my opinion. They stay at number three this week after their big win against Ohio State a couple of weeks ago. And they got a big win over Arizona, 41 to 19. They were 29 and a half point favorite and they caused five turnovers. And everyone talks about how Oregon didn't play very good or prove anything this last week. But a 41 to 19 win is a good victory. And Oregon didn't show its cards really, kind of like how in Fresno State. CJ Verdell only attempted rushing the ball 11 times. And Travis Dye only attempted to carry the ball five times and had 92 rushing yards in those five carries. I think there's a lot of storylines out of that Oregon game. And to your point, first of all, it's a win. It's a league win. It's a Pac-12 win. That's it's all a Pac-12 Oregon South win. win. It's in the yeah. other division, too. Although Arizona does not look like they're yes. going to be very strong yet. Jed Fish has a chance to rebuild that. It's going to take a while. But that program's had some good times. But back to Oregon, um, to your point, a lot of stuff was going on. I, you know, Oregon's a very young team to begin with. There's a lot of guys playing big minutes that have, haven't been at this level before. So I think you're going to see some growing pains out of that. I also think you're seeing a lot of Oregon's depth play right now. Uh, again, a lot of young guys in that depth, but we are playing second, third, sometimes fourth string. I say we, the Oregon Ducks are playing <laughs> some of their second, third, and fourth string um, players and getting them a lot of experience early in the year. Uh, it's going to prove out to be beneficial. It already has. We've had tip again. We, we, they've had Kayvon Thibodeau out for quite some time. He's expected back this weekend. So I think you're going to see a different Oregon team over these next three, four, five weeks as you get into some of the PAC 12 North games and, and really who they are as a team. Um, but you're right that, that right now there's still some questions for sure. And this next week they play at Stanford, which is the first road conference game for them at 1230 on national TV too now, which is awesome for the Pac-12 having a team in the top five. I mean, they get national coverage now. Yeah, and they need that. And Stanford's always one of the teams that gives Oregon problems. So regardless of what kind of year they've had, and you know, Stanford's been a little up and down, had that big win at USC. Um, they, they will give the Ducks some trouble. It, they're big, physical. They like to push the line of scrimmages. So uh, that's a tough road game for Oregon. It's good to get it early in the year now, uh, coming off of playing at uh, Columbus and playing at the Horseshoe against Ohio State. Most of these kids have felt big atmospheres. So it should be a good game. And again, to your point, at least they get to play at a decent time and some East Coast people can finally watch what is Oregon really about? Because it's hard to do that when you're just seeing box scores when we play so late at night. Right. The next team is Penn State, who's right behind the Ducks at number four, getting that big win against Auburn at home in the wideout stadium. And they're a contender for winning the Big Ten with Ohio State 
I don't want to say slipping, but not showing its dominance like every other year, it opens the door for teams like Penn State and Iowa. Yeah, I thought this was a big change in the top 25 was Penn State moving ahead of Oklahoma and for that matter, uh, Oklahoma moving down past Iowa uh, and they won, Oklahoma won. But this Penn State team, I, I don't know what to make of them yet either. That whiteout game was very impressive against Auburn. Once Big Ten conference play starts here, we're, we're going to see. And do they play Ohio State this weekend? They games coming up, I think. But um, yeah. I, I'm excited to see Penn State. It really puts the pressure on James Franklin back to some of our conversations in, from your first episode about potential USC candidates for their head coaching job. If Franklin keeps us up and makes the playoff, it would almost be impossible for him to have to be able to leave and take that USC job. They, they have the number one recruiting class on the board right now for next year's cycle. Um, again, he's close to pulling his name out of that hat again. Mm-hmm. Moving to the SEC, Arkansas is all the way up to number eight. When's I've never even maybe seen Arkansas in the top 10. I, I know in your lifetime, EP, Arkansas has not been good, but uh, Pops is old and Arkansas used to be a program uh, that you had to battle every year with the Oklahomas, with the Texases. Um, back when there was a Southwestern Conference uh, League and those teams were in the same conference, uh, it, it, they were good. So, so I love seeing Arkansas back in the hunt. Uh, I think it's fun to see other new SEC teams, teams like Ole Miss, um, that are starting to get good and, and challenge some of these heavyweights like Georgia and Florida and, and Alabama. Uh, Arkansas beat Texas A&M this last week, 20-10, and it actually ended a nine-game losing streak against A&M for Arkansas. In Arkansas, speaking of Georgia, plays Georgia this next weekend where college game day is going to be. Hoo-wee! That Arkansas game is going to be a big one. It's a uh, hot I who, do you, who do you like in that game? Let's talk about picking that game, uh, Arkansas and Georgia. I think it's a really hard matchup. I mean, Georgia did play Clemson and beat them at the beginning of the year, but Clemson's kind of falling off the bandwagon. So I don't even know how good of a win that was. And they haven't played anyone else. So this is their first next test. And I think it helped Arkansas that they played Texas A&M last week because that was a harder team. And I think I'm going to go for the upset of Arkansas. I have faith in them that they're the underdog. Everyone has counted them out, I'm assuming. And I think they want to prove some people wrong. I like it, EP. I like it. I, I also would tend to go with Arkansas for a little bit different reason. You're right. Georgia's defense has just been unbelievable beginning of the year. I don't think they've given up a touchdown in almost three games, but what's going to happen when somebody comes in and punches them in the mouth and, you know, maybe takes a lead? Is Georgia going to be able to respond? Are they going to be able to come back? That team play, likes to play out in the front, um, front runners with it. So, I would love to see Arkansas get the upset just, again, just to make things interesting in the SEC, get some new blood up in there, but uh, another great matchup this weekend. The last team in the top 25 that definitely moved up was Notre Dame. They destroyed Wisconsin 41 to 19. Wait a minute. Now I, I agree the final score and a lot swung fast, but 
Wisconsin was ahead in that game deep into the third quarter. So That's when true. they destroyed, I mean, on paper, yes. This is where I think it gets interesting for Notre Dame. I, I think they feel that, uh, that they're that good. Um, I really don't know if Notre Dame's still that good. Wisconsin had them on the ropes for quite a while. Um, so we'll see. But to your point, go ahead, Notre Dame. Well, I mean, Notre Dame's always a contender every year. They always get pretty good recruits. Brian Kelly always has a pretty good program, coaching. But this next week, this weekend, they play Cincinnati at home. But I think it will really show how good Cincinnati is, but also how good Notre Dame is against other people. I am not saying that the Wisconsin win wasn't a good win, but Wisconsin had already had a loss. So they weren't playing an undefeated team. And Cincinnati is pretty good. Well, Cincinnati's better than pretty good. I mean, this game for Cincinnati is the biggest game in Cincinnati program history. The Bearcats have never seen a game on this level. They, they've had this game circled for probably a couple of years now on the schedule. Luke Fickle and the job he's done at Cincinnati has prepared them to Another go. coach for the USC job yes. that we talked about. Yeah. And again, He's close to playing his way out of that USC job because the, this week for Cincinnati, with them moving into the Big 12 Conference and what they can do with recruiting, and if Luke Fickle stays there, what he's building, um, this is a huge game for Cincinnati. I think Notre Dame's going to get Cincinnati's best possible game. If they're not ready for it, I think this game could get out of Notre Dame's way in a hurry. Uh, but quick shout out to Brian Kelly. You mentioned he became Notre Dame's all-time winningest football coach. Um, I, I never expected in my I thought Newt Rockney would have that um, uh, title forever. I didn't know they would even allow somebody to, to beat that record, but um, kudos to him. Uh, Notre Dame's a tough job to be there that long and win that many games. Uh, to your point, he's, he's a hell of a coach. So best of luck to him. I think that's the – Probably, again, one of the top three games of this weekend and uh, should be fun to watch. Hey, but be also, you're talking about all these uh, who's in the top 25 games. Let's talk about who's not in the top 25 really quick. Okay, Clemson. You bring up Clemson, Clemson. earlier about playing Georgia. Clemson losing to NC State this past weekend and falling out of the top 25 um, just blows my mind. I, I thought – how far they've come to, or maybe they are 25th. Maybe they're not all the way out yet, but they might as well be. Um, but, um, uh, you know, Dabo's name's been mentioned a lot for that USC job. There's a guy that if, any, if everything got a little crazy and people turned on him, he might be a guy who would be willing to leave and maybe go take that job. The ACC is not very good. I mean, he loves the camera. He loves media attention. Uh, the USC job would be perfect for him if everything went downhill for Clemson he's this a year. Southerner. He's, he's likes the South. He's a good old Southern boy. Um, I, I mean, I can't see him leaving Clemson other than maybe to take the Alabama job someday if Saban ever retires. But um, again, just a shocker that Clemson's now two and two um, looks like they've pretty much played their way out of the college football playoff for this year. Um, see what happens going forward. I saw a video the other day of Paul Feinbaum and he said that, the dynasty for Dabo is over, but it's only one year, but it is not over. This team could still finish <laughs> 10 and two and everybody be like, Oh, what was everybody stressing about? But 
uh, Paul Feinbaum, he is just an SEC honk. And unless it's SEC, rah, 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 he's going to talk smack about everybody. So I don't carry much weight about Mr. Feinbaum and his opinion, uh, anything west of the Mississippi, put it that way. So anyways, let's move on with that note. I want to focus on the Big Ten because I think – Everyone going into the season had Ohio State winning the Big Ten for fifth year in a row or sixth year, maybe at this point. And that is not the case anymore. Ohio State's losing its stride against the other teams. They struggled to put Tulsa away. They did bounce back beating Akron, but Akron is awful. Their quarterback, CJ Stroud, has a shoulder injury, and Kyle McCord started that game against Akron. And They do have an easy stretch coming ahead, playing Rutgers, Maryland, and then a bye week to get C.J. Stroud healthy. But they haven't proven anything to me in that they should win the Big Ten because teams like Penn State and Iowa are beating good teams. Uh, I Penn or the Big Ten is all over the board, but it is way too early to throw any dirt on Ohio State's grave. I think it's now that the rest of the Big Ten teams have played good. They've won some non-conference games early in the year that a lot of people didn't think they might win. Uh, Michigan State's another team that's had a great turnaround uh, under their coach. Um, And, you know, again, with all these Big Ten teams showing strength, even Indiana has played well. They've played in uh, Cincinnati tough, who we talked about earlier, how good Cincinnati is. Um, I think it makes the Big Ten very interesting um, over the next few weeks as they start playing each other. But Penn State does look like the best. Iowa is right there. Michigan, we haven't mentioned Michigan yet. Uh, They're playing better. Uh, I I just don't know what it means yet. Um, You know, have they beaten anybody good? Who's the best non-conference win they have? Um, I mean, obviously Michigan beat Washington, and we know how – a biggest struggle it's been for the Huskies right now. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the big 10. Yeah. Well, Iowa and Penn state play each other in two weeks. So I think that'll be a big game. Yeah, I think so. Any, anybody that you think uh, else should be worried? I know we talked about Clemson, but anybody else you think uh, is in a tough spot? The team that should be worried heading into September is Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler's Heisman hopes are slipping, dropping of a dime. They barely won over West Virginia, which I feel like no one really talked about. Only 16 to 13 and had a last minute field goal at home, not even on the road. And they haven't played a top 25 team yet. Yeah, you know, that that game that you mentioned against West Virginia, the home crowd was chanting uh, the backup. They wanted the backup. That's tough on a young kid like Spencer Rattler. A lot of hype with him coming into Oklahoma. When you follow guys like Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray into that program, and a lot's expected of you. But I agree, Oklahoma has struggled. The the only reason that um, they came back and won that game, though, was Rattler had a hell of a last series and led him down the field to get that field goal. But there's a lot of problems there. They are barely scoring points. Um, I would agree Oklahoma has a lot to figure out in the month of October. Yeah, these next three weeks are going to show a lot to us, I think, because this week, shout out to Willie the Wildcat, they play at Kansas State, who in recent years has had trouble with. Last year they lost to Kansas State. And then 
they play the Red River Showdown the very next week against Texas, and then they play TCU. Well, Kansas State couldn't be in a better spot. And like you said, go Willie. Um, but when you get to play them the week before Texas, there's always looking over the next game, looking to Texas. So, um, but you're right. Those next three games, I think Texas is just out of the top 25 as well. They can either play their way into it, winning those three games, or we're going to be talking about next year and Sarkeesian needing getting his old uh, recruits in there. Mm-hmm. Switching gears to golf, which I know you're very excited about. The Ryder yeah, Cup just happened. All day. The Ryder Cup just happened last week, and the Americans got a big win against the Europeans in 19 to nine final score. You would say, and I think the Americans proved that youth is better than old in golf right now. Well, the youth did serve itself this past weekend. The young Americans just looked dominant. Um, I don't know if the course was quote unquote made for the Americans, but uh, they just took that thing apart uh, under some tougher conditions too. It definitely was European like conditions with the wind blowing out there, but uh, it was great to see the young guys, the Colin Morikawas, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, Daniel Berger, uh, Scotty Scheffler and, and Harris English just be able to step up in big moments. The, every member of the U.S. team won a point somewhere along the weekend. Um, that That's always impressive. Uh, and again, it's just great to bring the cup back to, to the United States. It's been a lot, long haul uh, trying to get back into this thing and, and be able to be competitive. But it looks like the future is bright for our, our young American team for sure. This was the most rookies on a Ryder Cup squad for the U.S. since 2008 with six, the six that you stated. And in 2008, with the other amount of rookies, they won. And this year, they won with that many rookies. So the future is bright for the U.S. with all their young guys. And the Ryder Cup captain, Steve Stricker, said this is a new era for USA golf as the Ryder Cup won't be played again until 2023 when it goes back to European turf. But I think this proved a lot that the U.S. is gaining its momentum back in the U.S. Yeah, I think there's a couple different reasons for that, too. I think the game of golf's changed a lot with these young guys. You know, they've all grown up playing tournaments against each other at such a young age. Their friends, their families know each other. You know, when you get into a Ryder Cup and it's a team event, you know, in the past, a lot of our guys and, you know, we've had – the best players in the world with Tiger and Phil and you go down the list. It was always hard as a team because they were such individual players. I know Brooks Kepka talked a little bit about it this year and, and how difficult it is to transition to that team mentality. And I think he kind of took a beating in the media for, for being honest saying that, but I think that's just the nature of golf. Uh, it is an individual sport. You train your own way, you prepare your own way. You, you know, in most cases, I play the course, the same course, totally different than somebody else might. So um, depending on where you hit the ball, am I a better putter? Am I better, you know, iron player? Whatever that might be, uh, I think it's different. So uh, I do think moving forward with these young guys, though, that um, there are some very special, quote unquote, teammates that came out of it. You know, Spieth and, and Justin Thomas have known each other a long time. But looking at some of these other combinations with Dustin Johnson and Morikawa and Shoffley and the guys, um, I, I think this team's pretty tight going forward. You can't forget about Bryson DeChambeau, the long oh, drive guy. 
Yeah. This, I mean, this week he's actually playing in the long drive contest, which is unheard of for a PGA professional because the guys who participate in that strictly work on hitting long drives. Like that's their game. Yeah. That's going to be fun to watch too. They, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it'll be fun to see him. I know that professional long drives thing is, is its own animal. It's very rare to see a, a sitting PGA tour player, let alone someone in the top 10, like a Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, but DeChambeau worked with the, um, what he called the defending champ long drive champion in the off season to increase his um, club speed. So, you know, he knows some of these guys, he's up there with them practicing, working hard, trying to hit it farther and farther. I think it's fun to see. I think it's good for golf. Uh, people call it a stick or, you know, media driven. Uh, I think it's fun. Uh, it should be uh, celebrated and see how he does and see how he stacks up. I mean, again, the other guys are all professionals in what they do. Uh, they don't want Deshaun Mo coming in and beating them all like it's a joke. So um, they'll take it serious. Yeah. But the next thing for the Americans, going back to the Ryder Cup, is the next step for them is winning on the road. The Americans have not won on European turf for 30 years. And the next Ryder Cup in 2023 is in Rome, which I think will be very intriguing because the Europeans will have new guys on the team because the Europeans are on the older side and the Americans probably have most of the same team coming back. I, I know it's three years away, but it's intriguing already. Well, two years away. Two. Sorry. <laughs> but Hey, mark it down, put it at to make sure on this recording, we should put that on our bucket list. Go to Rome 2023. Ride a cup. Ride a cup. Moving on. What do okay. you got for me on the mystery of the week? Woo, yeah. One of our special episodes here on EPSN is uh, Old Pops gets to bring up a, a mystery of the week. And, you know, what was a good mystery that I saw this past week in the world of sports? And, and before I get to that, I do have a good mystery, uh, but it has to do with betting. And two things uh, Ryder Cup, I don't know if you saw this, but um, somebody made an $8 bet on the Sunday 12 single matches. And he got all 12 of them correct. And so his $8 won him just under a million dollars, like $966,000. He went on an $8 bet for picking all 12 singles matches correct. And that includes two of the singles matches ended in ties that he picked. As ties. As ties. Incredible. I, I, I'm blown away when people can make bets like this. Um, and it seems like such a simple bet. But, but they get it right. 12 out of 12 uh, in a Ryder Cup turn like that is crazy impressive. $8 wow. too. That's, $8 that's, to that's a million. like two coffees. So that's not even the good one. So did you hear about, well, that is a good one. So that's, but the week before, as far as bets go, somebody in that made an NFL bet. This was a free bet. It's what they call a prop bet, but it was a $25 prop bet and he picked had to pick all 16 NFL games correctly. Well, he got all 15 games correctly going into the Monday night Detroit Lions and Green Bay Packers game. So all he had to do is get the Monday night game correct. He had picked the Lions, which honestly seems like a bad pick anyways, but he got the first 15 right. So I'm guessing he probably knew what he was doing. So if he got the 16th Monday night game correct, 
he would win $750,000 on a $25 free bet. Amazing. So what happens? The Monday night kicks off. The Lions are ahead at halftime. Ahead. Keep this in mind. The Lions never win. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. The Lions were ahead. This guy's thinking, I'm 30 minutes away from winning 750 grand. Well, somehow the casino approached him and said, we will cash you out right now at halftime and give you $133,000. And it won't matter if the Lions win or lose. So you can take your $25 bet that you made for free and win $133,000, or you can wait out the Lions half and win $700,000. What do you think he did? Took the money. Yeah, because he's smart, because he knows the Lions are going to kick it away. The Lions are going to choke. So, yeah, sure enough, he did. They cashed him out $130,000. Anyways, that seemed like a big mystery of the week to me, how guys can pick so good in betting. So, anyways, mystery of the week this week with the start of NBA training camps opening up. Just gives us another professional sport. Oh, I love this time of year, EP. Um, We have baseball. We have football well a month into the season, uh, both college and NFL. And now we're getting NBA and hockey starting up. So sports fans uh, celebrate. But here's the mystery. What is going on with Ben Simmons? That has been the talk all offseason. Is he going to be traded? Is he going to skip camp? Is he going to be a 76er? EP, what is the mystery of Ben Simmons? So Ben Simmons has come out and said that he never wants to play another game for the 76ers. And that he will not participate in training camp or show up. Like he didn't come to media day or anything. I read earlier this week because I was intrigued by Ben Simmons because This has been a long, stretched-out process of knowing where he's going to play this coming season. At Media Day, Joel Embiid said that he wants to play with Ben Simmons, that they work well together, they are friends, he likes what he brings to the team, yada, yada, yada. And Doc Rivers said that he respects the guy and respects this game. didn't really come out and say fully, I want this guy back but that he's a good player and you want good players on your team. And the front office thinks that they can get him back, reel him back in. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think that he is going to get out of set out of Philadelphia, no matter what it takes, whether it means I don't think waiting out his contract, but holding out for a season, I could totally see him doing that. At this point, no idea where he's going to go because I know teams have contacted the 76ers asking about Ben Simmons. Teams like the Lakers and teams like the Golden State Warriors. I mean, the Blazers could use them. The Kings could use him. I think I, anybody can use him. Let's be honest. He's the top three defensive player in the league. Everybody likes to talk about what he can't do and that shoot. Uh, there's plenty of guys in the NBA who shoot. You know, this guy can do it all in other ways. Uh, I'm baffled at how this has gotten to this point in Philadelphia. It was always an awkward fit when they drafted him number one, putting him and uh, Embiid together. Um, Simmons can't, like we said, shoot. He needs to be able to drive in the lane. Well, where do you think Embiid likes to stand? Right in the Sitting middle. Sitting right the in the lane. lane. So, uh, I, I think you're right. He never plays another game uh, for the 76ers. Uh, he will set out, but it isn't going to take all year. 
I guarantee he's traded by the end of October um, before the either the very early part of the regular season. It's only going to take a few games. They don't need the distraction. They need to move on. I think part of the problem is Doc Rivers. I think when he came in, everybody thought, oh, what a great coach he's going to be. He totally threw Simmons under the bus at the end of the playoffs. Maybe he should have said, I should have done a better job coaching. I'm the only guy who's lost 3-1 leads multiple times in the NBA. I mean, Doc Rivers got a lot to look in the mirror at too. But I think the 76ers waited way too long to try to fix it. And uh, Simmons has made up his mind. It's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, I do think the Blazers are one of the favorites or the Timberwolves, maybe the Kings. Um, Somebody out of the blue that the 76ers just aren't going to get what they want for him. um, And that's their own fault. Yeah. I mean, the 76ers won a lot for him because he's a franchise player. But I think people have come to them with good offers and they're just not taking it or biting at it. But I think that's going to shoot them in the foot later on because it's going to just keep dragging out as it has all summer long. And they're not going to get as much bang for their buck for him and get something good in return because they're just going to want to get rid of him because the media is just going to be on them all season long. I mean, let's say they start out the season 10 and 0. The only thing people are going to talk about is still Ben Simmons. If he's not playing, they'll talk about how the 76ers are doing good without him, but it always is going to revolve around him. Thanks again for tuning into EPSN. And I'm your host, Emily Paulson. Don't forget to follow and subscribe for more episodes to come. I'll see you next time, sports geeks.